we're going through major themes of Joshua, and, and, and we're talking about different sorts of things. You know, sometimes it's, it's a theme of leadership. Sometimes it's a theme of worship. Um, you know, last week was wonderful and, and, and so encouraging to me, talking about, to be quite frank, um, a, a lying, treasonous prostitute who God used to do great things, named Rahab. And how God can use anybody if they come to him in humility and in truth. And tonight, we're going to talk about something that's very important to me. It's been very important to me in my own spiritual growth. The title of the sermon, um, do you have a title slide? Yeah, Ebenezer. comes from that song we just sang, Come Thou Fount. Here I raise my Ebenezer. We're going to talk about what that means and, and, and what's happening here with the Israelites. And I would encourage you on your own to, to spend some time in chapter 3 and 4. We only have time to go through part of it, and in chapter 3 and, and the middle of 4 that we're not going to read talks a lot about the transition of Joshua to Moses, and how because of this event and because of them crossing the Jordan on dry ground, the people began to see Joshua as the leader he was called to be. But tonight, we're going to spend most of our time in verses 19 to 24 of chapter 4. So please follow along with me, either on the screen or in the Bible in front of you, uh, and hear the word of the Lord. Verse 19, on the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, it's pretty straightforward. We're just going to go through it. Verse 21, he says, hey, listen. The reason we're setting these stones up, the reason we're doing this, the reason we're stopping when all you want to do is get into the promised land is to set up these stones. Because one day people are going to come to you, your descendants, your sons, 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 and they're going to say, what do these stones mean? Why are these here? And in verse 22, he says, the answer is quite simple. That when they see these stones, you can tell your descendants, you can tell the people the great things God did. That Israel crossed the Jordan River the same way as the Red Sea on dry ground. A provision and protection of the Lord. And I just want to make this clear. You know, the Jordan River was a huge natural barrier to this land. Sometimes you may see pictures now where it looks sort of small or sort of dry. Um, It must keep in mind that there are much larger cities nearby that are pulling off water and much more farmland and much more people. At the time, the Jordan River would have been quite large. And it even says in the verse previous, in verse 18, that the waters were at flood stage or that they were overflowing their banks. The Jordan River was so powerful at this time of year, which is also why it gives the details of the 10th month or the 10th day of the first month, it talks about the time of year and how, the, how big the river would have been. How powerful this would have been that God stopped miraculously the river so that his people could cross safely. And it says in verse 23, why? 
Here's the important part. Why? Why must we set up these stones? Why must we remember? For the Lord your God did it. Because God did it for you. You did not do it. You would be tempted maybe to say, look at, look at what we did as a people. Look at how great we were in the conquest of Canaan. Look at how great we were to, to leave Egypt. And God says, no, it wasn't you who did it. It was me. So slow down, stop, pause, and, and, and acknowledge what God has done for you. That God did this for them. And I called the sermon Ebenezer because later on in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel, if you guys don't know, Samuel was, was a priest, he was a prophet, uh, he was a great, great leader of Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, he does the same thing. And Samuel sets up this stone and he calls it, and he says, here I raise my Ebenezer. Which quite literally in, in, in Hebrew means stone of help. This is a stone to remind me of the help God gave me. And so, we see that when Samuel did this, it wasn't something new. That the Israelites did this before, and that it wasn't just an idea they came up with, but it was a command from God. He says, listen, you need to remember the things I have done for you. This is why throughout the Old Testament, we see God referring to himself in in things like, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not because that's God's name, it's because God wants the people to know all the things He has done for them, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Moses to now Joshua. And so my question for us tonight is, what are the stones of remembrance in our life? Or maybe where are the stones of remembrance in your life? Do you have any? Do you think regularly about the things God has done for you? Do you take time out of your life, slow down, stop, or pause When you get really excited about something that God has done, do you just rush ahead? Or do you pause and worship God first? I was talking about my sermon today with my wife, and and I said this, you know, sometimes it's best to give credit where credit is due, to thank the gift giver before we just take the gift and run off. And she so wisely corrected me. She said, no, not sometimes, all the time. It's always good to give thanks to the gift giver before we just take the gift and go use it. You know, think about when you're a kid at a birthday party and, and, and you get a gift or you get something that you're so excited about. What does your mom or, or someone make you do? Say, okay, now go over and say thank you. And you have to go over and you say thank you to the kid who brought it or to the person. I remember one time at Christmas, I got this great Lego set and I was so excited. And my mom made me go over to my grandmother who had got it for me. She made me explain how happy I was, how I had gotten the right one, and why it was so important, and what the, it was a Star Wars Lego set, and, and why this ship, what this, uh, this ship did, and how it flew, and all that. And I'm just thinking, Mom, I just want to go build it. I don't want to thank the gift giver. I don't want to take time to stop and say thank you. I just want to take it and run. And it's a trivial example. But when we look, this is exactly what God is saying. It's okay. In fact, it's a command of God to slow down or to pause. Even when things are great, even when things are good, even when we're excited. Think about the people of Israel. They were so excited to get here. These are people who have grown up as refugees without a home. These are people who lived in the desert for their entire lives. 
And here they come, crossing this river into a land of what it says in Scripture is milk and honey with beautiful vineyards and livestock and, and, and beauty and comfort. And they don't have to be in the desert anymore where it's hot and dusty and disgusting. The people were finally entering the land. And I just want to encourage you tonight that whether things are good or bad, it is always a good idea to slow down or to pause and give thanks to God. To think about where your stones of remembrance are or what they are. Because what it does is it helps us see what God is doing. It helps us see what God is doing in our work life, in our education, in our opportunities, in our family, in our friendships, in our relationships, because all gifts are from God. Everything is from God. There's a passage in Deuteronomy, I can't remember it off the top of my head, where it even says that do not even say once you enter the land that, that, that you did this or that you, because of your intelligence or because of your power, gained wealth. It says, no, even God gives us the ability to gain wealth. That God gives us everything. You know, when I was in college. I went to a Christian college, as some of you know, and I had to write a paper of kind of my life testimony. Right? And my teacher... I wrote this testimony, and if you've ever tried to write down your life story, it's actually really difficult. You know, I remember the, guy, the teacher saying it was something like 10 pages. It wasn't very big. And I thought, oh gosh, this is going to be awful. Well, I sat down to write it, and before I knew it, before I edited, before I had over 20 pages just written out, just of stories and stories and stories and stories. And as I'm editing it and working with him and talking through it, he said, you know, the hardest thing about this is you need to come up with a title. I said, what? He said, yeah, you need to come up with a title for your life story. And this was the hardest part. How do I, like an essay or like a book, how do I come up with a title for my life story? And my life is, it has been difficult in some ways and, and filled with God's love in other ways. And so I came up with the, the idea of a title, Love and Misunderstanding. That there are so many ways where I've seen God's love in my life. And at the same time, there are so many ways where I've misunderstood God's love. It's all God's love, but I've, I, I've either seen it or I've misunderstood it. And I bring that up because I was thinking about Stones of Remembrance this week, and I have this box full of all these old papers. And, you know, back when I was in college, you actually took handwritten notes. And so I have boxes of notes and, and all of these things. And I found this paper. And I read this paper this week. And I realized what amazing things God has done in my life since I was 21 years old. And it just brought me so much joy. And I thought, Wow. What if we did this more? What if we had stones of help or stones of remembrance more? See, brothers and sisters, we need to acknowledge what God is doing in our life. We need to see where our goodness and our joy comes from. Because as it says in Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. And we need a shepherd to help us. Anyone who's seen sheep on their own know they don't do a very good job. We need help. And so as the text brings up tonight, I want to mention two important things, two important reasons we should be doing these things. And it's not just about having a life of gratitude. It's more to it than that. The first is what he says in verse, one, or in verse 22, or 21, 22, and 23. He says, when, you know, when these people are going to ask you, in the future your descendants will ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? So one of the most important reasons we do this is for our families for our descendants, for the people in immediate relationship to us. 
You know, if you were here in the fall, we went through First and Second Timothy, and we talked about the idea of generational faithfulness. Beginning of Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul says to Timothy, I saw the, the faith you have in your grandmother and in your mother, and now I see it in you. See, the reason God has the Israelites do this is for, not just for them, but for the future generations. That there would be a lasting legacy of faith that empowers future generations to do greater things. Greater things than we have done. Greater things uh, and, and fix the mistakes that we maybe have made. And we see it right here. He says, your family is so important. And the way you live with your family is so important that I desire my servants to set up stones, to set up things in their life that when grandsons and great-granddaughters and great-great-granddaughters ask, hey, what does this mean? Let me tell you about the great things God did in our life. The second reason expands the circle. So if the first reason is to understand it's for our family and our close relationships, the second reason is what he says in verse 24. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. All the peoples of the earth. Now, what's great about this, there's a lot of things that's great about this verse, but when it says the word fear there, I just want to clarify what that means. It doesn't mean being scared of God. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says the beginning of all wisdom is, it starts with a fear of the Lord. So this word that, that it's using here is fear is, is, is not fear as in I'm afraid of spiders fear, okay, which by the way I am. I would never actually hold a tarantula. You could offer me a, a suitcase full of money and I would say, no, thank you. Keep your spider. What it's talking about here is reverence. What it's talking about here is the way I thought of my grandfather as a kid. My grandfather passed away when I was 12 or 13 years old, but he was one of these men, he was a war veteran. He smoked his whole life, so he sounded like this. And he always yelled. You know, there was no, he just sort of yelled all the time. He didn't talk a lot, but when he did, it was very loud. You know, you walk into the house and he'd be listening to westerns at full volume in the back room, and I'd go back and I'd sit and I'd watch westerns with him, and he'd look at me, and this is not a joke. He was a little rough around the edges. He would say something like, you can sit here if you shut up. Okay, Grandpa. And I would just sit and watch Westerns with him all day. I loved my Grandpa. I was terrified of him. He drove this giant blue pickup truck that never really sounded right, and it kicked out black smoke. You know, he had this workshop in the garage. There was always cobwebs, and I could never find anything in there, but he knew just where everything was. And I'd look at my grandfather with this reverence. He wasn't a great man. As I've gotten older, I've heard stories about how he was, and he was harsh, and all. But I looked at him with reverence, and I thought, man, if you asked me to jump off the roof, I'd do it. And when Scripture says that we should have a fear of the Lord, this is what it's talking about. Reverence, respect, understanding that this is someone who is great. And the reason we have a fear of the Lord, the reason is because the Lord is powerful, and that we display the Lord's power to all the earth. See, you may not be gifted with evangelism. I, I personally am not. I am not someone who will stand on the corner handing out those tracts, you know, about, you know, you can be saved and how, let me tell you about the four, four spiritual laws to find Jesus. That's not my gifting. But when it comes to setting up stones of remembrance and when it comes to being an example for Christ that the world can see, it is the strongest argument for God we will ever have. 
Human beings, if you don't know this, are very experiential learners. If you've never heard that term before, it comes from, if you've ever heard of Montessori schools, Montessori schools are these primary schools that are getting really popular in the last 40, 50 years that focus on experiential learning for kids. So instead of you know, repetition and memorization, it's sort of experiential learning, and they put them in situations where they come up with the answers themselves and they figure it out. You know, instead of two plus two is four on the chalkboard and memorizing it, you, two beans, two beans, you put them together, one, two, three, four beans. Okay, so it's, it's very simple. But what's happened is that over the years, and actually first was pioneered by a Bible scholar in Italy. Her name was Sofia Cavalletti. You can read about her sometimes. She's great. But she began to realize that children understand more about God through experience. And when you talk about the Good Shepherd Psalm, you don't just read them and tell them that God is the Good Shepherd and you're the sheep. You read them the story and then you give them sheep toys and a shepherd toy and you let them sort of work it out and you read it again and you let them sit and think about it and play and kind of reflect on what's happening. And that over time, many kids will retain and, and remember these things. Child psychology actually says that children as young as four and five can reflect on God and what God, who God is and what God means. And this just gets stronger as we get older. We are experiential learners. What I mean by that is this. I'm a Christian because I saw Jesus in other people. I'm a Christian because I saw Jesus in my mom and I saw Jesus in my youth leaders when I was a teenager. I'm a Christian because I saw people say, I love Jesus, and they lived it. I wish I had some great intellectual reason where I sat down and read all these books and decided this was the best option. When I became a Christian, I had barely even read the Bible. I saw Jesus in people and said, that's what I want. We're experiential learners. So even if you're not the evangelist on the street corner, when someone asks you about why you do what you do, because they will ask, we should have a reason. We should have an answer. We should have a practice of setting up stones in remembrance in our lives to where we can say, let me tell you about the great things God has done for me. How do we do this? How do we do this? I, I think it's pretty easy. For me, I mentioned... I. I am more of a left-brain person, so I write. I write down the things God has done. Just this week, I read that paper from when I was 21 years old about my relationship with God. And it was so wonderful to see. <laughs> it, was, it was so bad. But it was, it was so wonderful to see how my image of God has grown and strengthened and how much more I know about my Savior. You may not be a writer. Don't write. Maybe you're a painter. Paint something that represents your relationship with God and what God has done. Draw something. If you're a musician, make a piece of music. And when you play that piece of music, tell people about what it means. Something you can tell others about. You don't have to be an evangelist. You can create something that points to God. You know, our God is a creator. This is one of the things that defines God. He is a creator. And being made in God's image as his creation, we have that same gift. We too have the ability to create an Ebenezer. It can be anything. All it has to be is something that you look at it and you remember the things God has done. It doesn't even have to be a creation. You can sacrifice time and volunteer, and when people ask you, why do you go do that? You know, why do you go and serve? Why do you go and do that? And you say, let me tell you what God did for me, and that's what I try to do for others. All people can create, everybody. You know, I had an art teacher. I, I used to be really into art, and a seventh grade art teacher, Mrs. Purcell. I can still picture her face, and, and she was not a Christian. But I think the message holds true. She would get so mad when people say they weren't creative. 
She would get so frustrated. Because, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you know God and you know his son, Jesus Christ, that means that you have been given the Holy Spirit, and therefore you have the very presence of God living inside of you, and you should be more creative than anyone else in the world. Think back on the big things and the major things God has done in your life and create something. Make a marker, make a picture, make a poster, write a poem. Do something that reminds you of what God has done. One other way you can do this, it's meant a lot to me as well, is we can set up little reminders on a small scale. I'm talking about, before I was talking about big things, right? Big memories, big things about our past, and, and, and that's fine. But there's another way that's been huge in my own spiritual life. And it's doing it each and every day in little ways. I don't know how many of you know this, but uh, we're celebrating the 500th year of the, the Reformation. We've talked about that. But after we had the whole Protestant Reformation, the Catholic Church had what was called the Counter-Reformation. And the Catholic Church sort of realized, hey, we messed up. All of these people were a lot more mad than we thought. Um, we should reach out to people more. We should try to do what these Protestants are doing in a way. And at the same time, there was a guy named Ignatius from, from Spain, St. Ignatius of Loyola, who was coming up and serving people and, and caring for people. And he was the founder of the Jesuit movement, who now the Pope is actually a Jesuit. But St. Ignatius started something that I think is really fascinating. And he called it his daily examine. And what he would do is simply this. Each night before he would go to bed, he would do five things, okay? And, and, and if you don't get these down or if you're curious about them, you can look it up. It's just called the Daily Examine. It's, very, it's all over the internet. But he would start, the first thing he would do, he would just become aware of God's presence. So he would just stop or he would pause and he would just kind of take a deep breath. He would just pause and become aware of God's presence, just sort of like we relax at the end of a day, right? And then he would review the day with gratitude. He would go through his day. And he would look at, you know, ah, I woke up this morning, I did this, I fed some hungry people, then I went and did this. And, and review your day. What was your day like? Where did you see God? Just review your day. Stop, pause. The first thing, the second thing is just review your day. And then the third thing, pay attention to what evokes an emotional response in you from your day. So what I mean by that is as you're reviewing your day, think of a time, oh, wow. I lost my temper a little bit at work today. I was really mean to that person. Or I was really selfish there. Or that really hurt my feelings when someone did this to me. We reflect on the day. And then the fourth thing is you choose one thing from the day. Just choose one thing. Don't, don't try to fix the whole day. Don't try to solve all your problems in one thing. Just choose one thing from the day and pray about it. Choose one thing from your day and say, you know, Lord... I was short-tempered with that person at work. I pray for forgiveness, and I pray that you would make me more patient tomorrow. That's it. Choose one thing from the day and pray about it. Remember the day. And then the fifth thing is just look forward to tomorrow. Look forward to how you can do something better tomorrow. Look forward to how you can maybe do one more thing to imitate Christ tomorrow. Look forward to how you can, how you can be Christ and how you can bring Christ to the world, to all the peoples of the world in one more thing tomorrow. Maybe it's as simple as a smile. Maybe it's as simple as a phone call to an old friend on the tram. Maybe it's writing an email to someone who, who you just haven't talked to in a while. Maybe it's just an encouraging note to a coworker who did something they didn't have to do. See, we can... 
be people who are grateful and set up stones of remembrance in really big ways and in small ways too. We can slow down and pause our life and remember where God has brought us. Sometimes we just need to stop and think about it. And this is where technology is so dangerous and fails us because we always have a phone to check or music to listen to or a news story to read or social media to distract us. We have to pause from all of that. We have to separate ourselves from all of these distractions. <laughs> I think of sitting down to eat a meal. Think about how simple it is to pray before a meal. Think about all the things we rush through and do. You know, the best is when you're at a restaurant and people, this really nice display or, you know, appearance of the food, and people are taking pictures of it, post on social media. Or if you're like me and you're really hungry all the time, you just inhale your food before you even realize what you're eating. Um, When we pray before a meal, what are we doing? We're pausing, we're slowing down, and we're just stopping to say, Lord, thank you. I don't deserve this meal, but you gave it to me. In a weird way, in a much smaller way, this is like setting up a stone of remembrance just for that meal. There's so many ways we can do this. There's so many ways we can honor God in this. We can also do it in community. When we share the things God has done, it encourages other people. You know, especially in Switzerland, but just generally as people, we tend to be so private when it comes to our spiritual lives. We tend to be so shy and and so nervous what other people will think of us. You know, I see it all the time as a youth pastor. For years, I've worked with youth, and, and I talk to people individually, and I talk to all these guys. And all these guys would say, you know, oh man, I just really struggle with this. I'd say, well, why don't you talk to someone about it? Have you ever asked for prayer about it? And they say, no, no one knows what I'm going through. No one knows what I'm going through. I'd say, okay, and I'd meet with another guy the same age at the same school in the same youth group, and he would say the exact same thing, and this guy, and this guy, and I'd finally get them together at a retreat or something, and they'd finally start talking, and then all of a sudden they'd say, wait, we all deal with this? Yes. We all struggle. We all have stuff. But when we share, and when we share the things God is doing, both good and bad, and in our struggles, it encourages others. This practice God asked Israel to do is not just a good idea, it should be a mandate for all of us to pause, to stop, to remember. And it allows us to see God every day. And I know there's elements of the Christian life that are difficult. And I know sometimes we make things even more difficult. But I just want to encourage you. When I read this story, I know there's a lot of historical implications. I know there's a lot of important implications for crossing the Jordan and comparing it to the Red Sea and everything else. But when I look at this, I see God telling his people to just pause your day for a couple of minutes and thank God for what he's done. Sacrifice your time. Sacrifice five minutes of your day to just acknowledge who God is and how much he loves you. And the reason this is so important is because what he says in verse 24, that the whole earth would know how much God loves them. You know, one of the things you may not realize, as I mentioned, if we know who God is and we know his son, Jesus, and we've accepted him as our savior and we have the power of the Holy Spirit, one of the things we sometimes forget is that we will stick out. And, and I guarantee you, if you don't think you do, you probably already do if you're a Christian. You will stand out. And people will ask you, why do you do that? People will ask you, why do you act that way? Why don't you do the other things people do? 
And when we make a regular practice of remembering how good God is and all the great things God has done in our life, the answer is easy. People ask me, why in the world would you move to Switzerland? Why in the world would you guys sell your house and move across the world and do all these other things? And my answer is simple. Well, God asked me to do the same thing when I was 18 to go to college, and then when I was 21 for my first job, and then when I was 24 to move back across the country. And now, here I am, and God has never let me down, and I've never been hungry, and I've never gone without a roof over my head, and it's always been a good thing when I trusted God, so why wouldn't I move across the world to Zurich? See, when we remember and and we make a practice of remembering the things God has done for us, it's easy to give an answer. And it's an answer that glorifies God and that shines the spotlight on God rather than ourselves. We take time in our day to thank God and we use the gift God created in us to make beautiful things. Whether we're creating something or whether we're just speaking the truth, it all points to the goodness of God. We give testimony and we tell our neighbors in future generations of the time we crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for drying up the river and not letting us be swallowed up. Thank you for promising us good things and then following through with the good things. Lord, thank you for these men and women in this room. I pray that they would take time, sacrifice time and energy and effort from their day to remember how good you are and how much you love them. And Lord, if they cannot see and if it's hard to find ways to see your goodness, I pray that you would show them all the more. Open their eyes to your love for them. Open their hearts to feel your presence and to feel your touch. Lord, thank you for your love and your grace your justice, and your mercy, all the things that come with knowing you, we thank you. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray.